We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Roadwire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, James Anderson. And today I'm joined by my buddy, Lucas Beery. Uh, Lucas runs uh, the DC Dynasty site, and he also is the overall winner of the NFBC online auction championship from this past year. Uh, Lucas also took down some other leagues, uh, won his other OAC league, and um, some draft and hold. So really awesome year for Lucas. Uh, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Uh, really excited to uh, watch a little hoops. I know you and uh, John Fish kind of talked a little NBA. I don't know <laughs> if we'll be going, going there today, but uh, I'll have the league pass kicked on in a few hours and a uh, great time of the year. Nice. Yeah, I, I bought my Bally Sports Wisconsin subscription uh, to, to watch the Bucks. Um they're going to debut tomorrow night, but yeah, we're, we're going to focus on baseball. Um, so man, it was a really great year from you. Uh, congratulations again on, on taking down that, that overall title. Uh, just really, really happy for you. Um, so, you know, kind of reflecting back and we're, we're going to start off just kind of looking back at, at what went right last year. We'll, we'll talk about some auction dynamics and stuff. Uh, and then, Lucas and I each have a couple uh, or a few deep sleepers for, for those of you in uh, draft and hold leagues. Um, but first, just kind of reflecting back, um, what do you think you did well before the auctions in terms of just preparation to where you were kind of in the zone to the point where you, you won a couple auctions and then you won the overall uh, in the online auction championship? Yeah, so um been playing auction leagues since about 2017 or so. I was in a uh, fan tracks kind of um, home league with some buddies uh, from Baseball 365 Facebook group. So I've been playing auctions each year uh, and just trying to pick up as much auction content from Rob D, Deadpool hitter, or Ariel Cohen. He provides great auction content and, and listening to you and, and others. And um, really the... Uh, the podcast Rob D did last year with Brody Johns uh, last winter, listening to him and knowing that he had won five of the last previous uh, six consecutive diamond auction leagues. Clearly, you know, he was a master and just kind of listening to to what he did there. Um, he had designated the perfect $1 kind of 
pickup for each uh, position, and he had four to six of those guys, and and he ended up with a Christian Walker two years ago, and really all the, you know, he hit the nuts on all of his targets. So, kind of implementing that, and also listening to Rob, um, he kind of threw out the idea where, you know, you can create an Excel spreadsheet and create, you know, three or four different teams. One where you invest JT Real Muto as a premium catcher target, or maybe one where you go Garrett Cole and invest in another big pitcher. So. That way, you've practiced a few different builds. You've you know how you can shift in auction. So I thought doing those two kind of things this year was different from the past and helped me. So, did you use um, a specific build? You you practiced for the one that uh, that won the the overall. Yeah. Yes, I did actually. Um, I built out three or four different teams and. Um, yeah, just was able to plug in, you know, Tristan Costas for two, three dollars, or, you know, a Cattell Marte for five, six, or seven, and just try to see what it was like. Outfield was a notorious last year for being a, a kind of a thin position. And funny enough, for my uh, auction championship, coming out of the auction, uh, the outfield was was bad. Um, there was a lot of misses there, but uh, in Fab, I was able to kind of fix that. So yeah, using that kind of mock roster construction was was critical. Do you want to give give the listeners a just kind of a, a rundown of um, sort of who your your most expensive buys were? Uh, we'll get to those those one dollar ones here in in a bit, but just sort of who who are the heavy hitters on this team that you that you sort of spent up for in the auction? Yeah, so uh, two big time pitchers helped this team. Um, Garrett Cole for thirty five dollars. Um, again, talking about Rob, we were talking over the winter and we just felt like Garrett Cole for less than $40 was a great, you know, pickup just to get that durability, uh, elite strikeouts and possibility for wins. We didn't realize the Yankees would slip back, but 35 for Cole was huge and $30 for Aaron Nola. I wanted to pay a lot for big time pitchers. Uh, so those were kind of my uh, biggest pitching buys. And then on the offense, I didn't necessarily go any higher than $30 for any one guy. So I kind of spread the wealth a little bit with the $30 Raphael Devers and Corbin Carroll for 24 was, uh, was really the biggest key of all those players though. Yeah, I, I could, I would imagine that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I did, I didn't, I finished just outside the overall money. Uh, yeah. Finished second in my league to, to Zach Waxman who, who came on strong, but uh, just getting Corbin Carroll and auction leagues this year was was really great um getting that that sort of top five player for third round value um really allows a lot of things to kind of fit into place um so you know you you i'm sure some people reacted to you saying like aaron nola was essentially your your second most expensive player right Mm -hmm. um and i'm sure a lot of people you know if you end up leaving if you took Aranola like in the second round or if he was your second most expensive guy in an auction, uh, there's a decent chance you, you didn't love that this past year. Um, but you won the overall with it. So I, I think that that's like a really great example of just fantasy baseball. Uh, it doesn't come down to, you know, what happened with all you didn't, you don't have to hit on every single one of your most expensive players. Yeah, absolutely. And <clears throat> Nola definitely had a down year, but, you know, he returned 
10, $12 of value. It's not like he was a Dylan Cease, you know, negative number kind of thing. So, um, so then you, you talked about the strategy, which, which is a, it's a really good idea for anyone doing an auction, um, to have those $1 guys really kind of, um, figured out so that when you get into that end game, that sort of dollar dollar day stage of the auction, uh, you have a, a bunch of different options, a bunch of different places you can go, depending on what position you're trying to fill. Um, how many did you go kind of like five deep at each position? And then like, which guys did you seem to end up with on uh, the, the overall winning team? But I don't know if you had any kind of double ups on the, the other one that won a league. Yeah. Um, so as far as, uh, as far as the $1 guys, I actually did an article called a $1 auction targets uh, over the winter. Um, and I kind of got a little bit of each guys. Um, I would say, as far as that goes, um, Cattell Marte being on that one was a, was pretty critical. Um, and CJ Abrams as well. Um, there was other guys like Spencer Torkelson and, um, Jorge Soler too, that were available cheap. So really just following like, uh, Brody Johns had laid out as far as just, and I'm, I failed to mention this, but, um, I had actually downloaded the AAV and, there's about 30, there's about, you know, 40 to 50 guys uh, per position. And I basically color coded, you know, my feelings on them and double green was if I really liked them. And, and it was pretty manageable since it was like 40 guys per position and maybe like 90 to hundred pitchers since it wasn't reserve rounds. So I thought doing that was, was really big too. Cause you can really see, okay, this guy has gone for a dollar and, you know, nine out of the last 10 yeah. auctions. So that was big too. Yeah, so you you got Kettle, Abrams, Torque, and Solaire um, on the cheap. I, I mean, that's that's really good stuff. Um, you know, Abrams and Torque specifically, uh, just really great post type guys this past year. Uh, I didn't have any of either of them, but um, that's an awesome combo. Just getting the stats that Abrams provides pairing it with the stats torque provides and uh, you know, maybe you're a, a little bit behind on batting average there, but not, not if you did your, your work early on and then kettle Marte helps a lot with, with the batting average there. Um, so did you, did you end up with Abrams uh, specifically on, on a handful of teams? Yeah, actually, uh, Abrams was um, one of my highest owned players at the end of the year after cutting different guys for fab and all that. So um, I just felt like even though he he was really bad in his rookie year, I just thought he was still going towards physical maturity and had all the at bats he could handle. And, you know, worst case, if he was able to have like a 290, 300 OBP, he could possibly steal 25, you know, maybe 30 bags, but he certainly exceeded that. So just really love the prospect pedigree and the uh, opportunity. Yeah. And that, that might come up a little later when we're looking at uh, deep sleepers, um, these guys I might mention, but just, uh, you know, to me, there, there is a big difference between, um, you know, the guy who struggles in the majors, but he's so ahead of schedule from an age and maturity standpoint, you know, a lot of the guys that, struggle in the majors and then they they're cheap the next year they're 24 they're 25 
um, even 26 in, in some cases. But yeah, I love I love the process there of going after the sort of clear pre-prime guy from like a physicality and experience standpoint who might be able to take a leap that isn't going to necessarily just show up in the data from the previous season. Yeah, just uh, watching some Padres games from when he first got called up and on the Nationals, you can just see he was so, uh, you know, he looked so young. So there was a possibility he could pack on some muscle and kind of get better habits too. So uh, this one might, this question might be tough for you to, I don't know if you're going to be able to remember exact things because it's just you know, auctions. You know, I, I remember which guys I end up with, but I don't always remember what went into to me ending up with them. But mm-hmm. um, do you, do you recall any sort of high leverage uh, bidding situations where, you know, maybe you went the extra dollar on Corbin Carroll, you just, you, you weren't going to leave the draft without him, or maybe you, um, you know, were, were thinking about going after a guy and just got priced out on it and ended up really benefiting you. Was there any, anything like that that you remember from the auction that was just a big kind of turning point looking back on things? Um, kind of mentioned it, Garrett Cole. Um, oh, yeah. Just the opportunity to get, you know, SP1 for under 40 bucks. That's a first round player that's coming at, you know, maybe player what, 16 to 20 price tag. Um, I just thought that was a, a good opportunity. And um, another one, another guy that you're high on is uh, Josh Naylor. Wanted to come mm-hmm. away with him. Got him for about six bucks. So that was kind of another one where was really high on him. And had I didn't believe that he was going to get platooned necessarily because their, uh, their other options as far as their depth in Cleveland was horrible. So I just thought they'd give him a good chance and I was not right, not uh, not afraid to go too high on him, but only six. I was willing to go seven or eight if need be. Nice. And so, so you were? Would you've gone to like thirty nine on Garrett Cole? Then you mentioned just getting him for under forty. Was that your walk away number? Or? Um. Yeah, I think I think I would have gone to that. You know, high thirties at least. It's hard to say. You know, since I'm not in the draft right now, but yeah, yeah thirty seven, thirty eight, possibly even thirty nine. Because there's just not that many players that have that durability and proven track yeah. record. I, I value that a lot. And did you, what about with Corbin Carroll? Do you remember just kind of, um, did you think kind of going in that you would end up with him in, in your auctions? Did you, was it kind of borderline at, at the price? I don't know if you recall exactly how that one went down. Yeah, I, I do recall that one pretty well since he was such a high profile uh, prospect. Um, been listening to you kind of talk about him for years and really uh, just the possibilities for him and the power speed. It, he was a, a blue chip A-list kind of guy. And their one question was his power since in his cup of coffee, he didn't show it. So you 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 didn't get to see it firsthand. But just over the winter, I got a little bit more um, – looking at what can go right versus kind of the floor. So I wanted to grab him in the auction um, and also was able to get him in one DC. And ultimately those are my only two shares, but wish I would want a little bit harder. So, yeah. Do you, when you're doing an an auction or a DC um, for me, it it doesn't really change, but uh, it might for you. Do, Do you focus on a narrower portion of the, of the pool? Um, like obviously you're, you're doing your work, 
all off season on these players, but when it comes to auction day, you know, how, how big of a player pool are we talking here in terms of guys where there's a price where you would put them on your roster? Because there is, you know, to me, it's like each, each roster spot itself is, is a, you know, a a commodity, almost a scarce thing that you only have so many to work with. So is is there Mm -hmm. a, a narrow portion of the pool that you're looking at? Do you have any idea sort of how wide you're kind of canvassing there during the auction? Yeah, so this uh, this kind of circles back to having that really nice AAV available uh, to just look through the players, and you know we do these we do these auctions in February, and March, so we're pretty we're pretty far along with our research at that point. So, you know, there were certainly a handful of cross offs, um, but there was plenty of targets too. So I definitely give everyone a good look, um, and and not so yeah, I do try to look at everyone, but I also know that. You know, you want to go down with your players. You don't want to just take a guy just because he's at a good bargain or what have you. And and one thing that I've kind of experienced firsthand is whenever you see someone get a good discount or you feel like you need to price enforce. Um, I've actually tried to avoid that a lot lately the past few years because in my mind, no matter what, there's going to be great deals. They're inevitable. You can't stop them. And I really don't want that risk of getting a pitcher that I'm not high on or, you know, filling in a, a middle infield when there was guys that I like that are going to go later on just to try to hurt someone else's draft. Cause and the values are going to be inevitable in the auction. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's really well said. And, and I think uh, there, it's almost sort of, you know, you have varying kind of confidence levels um, per player and mm-hmm. the guys that you when you're sort of mapping out these three or four different builds uh, or you're, you know, you're highlighting a guy in green because you, you really think he's got a chance to be a good value. You know, those are guys where you're, you've done all the work. You, you think, you know, kind of exactly what the, the realistic range of outcomes is. Um, you know how you want to complement that player with other players. So I do think it is, I think it's smart. Um, in an auction to maybe not be working with that large of a percentage of the the player pool. Um, you know, like you said, like a guy, a guy might go for way under what, what he's been going for, but we're not going to know if that was a good value until after the season. Mm-hmm. And there were obviously reasons why they weren't someone you were strongly considering before knowing what they were going to go for. Yeah, absolutely. And <clears throat> just kind of having that set of targets in your mind as far as, you know, it's going to help you be able to look for a better discount. If a guy that you like is going for seven, eight, nine bucks, I mean, if there's three or four left that you still like at a position you see to be deep, I mean, you can really leverage that and kind of play a little bit of chicken to go for a, a nice discount. So it's kind of a little bit of um, agnostic, but also having some targets too. So is that um, is that idea of kind of, you know, two, we can call them sort of aces, um, two borderline SP1s, I guess. And then, uh, you know, maybe a $30 hitter, maybe a mid-20s dollar hitter. But um, is that kind of idea of how you're sort of 
tiering the resources and then i assume you're going fairly cheap on the rest of your starting rotation um looking back is that that one that you you feel pretty good about uh, in terms of the way to go about things this upcoming year yeah i certainly think so um and this is just kind of me hearing the guys that play the the ac the the fifteen hundred dollar auction and just listening to people over the years it seems like the hitter pitcher split is going more and more towards pitching just because you can step on so many landmines on fab or, you know, guy blows his arm out and all of a sudden everyone has to move up a slot in your rotation. So just that high investment in pitching, um, I do think is something I'm going to continue to do necessarily if it's, you know, two co two co aces, or if it's live and get, you know, four or five, you know, 12 to $18 pitchers. It's kind of depends every year is a little different. I think right now for next year, there's, there's a handful of guys that we all feel great about. And then it's kind of, you know, up to you as far as everyone has their own different feelings on the pitchers. So it's going to vary what a lot uh, person to person for 2024 and their pitching rankings. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I wonder how, how big that sort of group of, uh, starting pitchers that you would put into that sort of Cole Nola um, grouping would be for 2024. It does. Uh, there's a there's a interesting combination I've I've noticed of just sort of the proven guys. You know your your Zach Wheelers, your Zach Allen, Luis Castillos, and then you have the guys like Glass now, Uri Perez, Grayson Rodriguez, um, who are kind of unproven but i think that injuries and poor performances you know from from guys like Aaron Nola um from the past season uh just you know a bunch of Woodruff Sandy Alcantara um just not really being options for next year I, i've noticed that there's that sort of unproven guys that are kind of getting pushed up into that sp1 tier so I'm interested to sort of see how those uh, valuations shake out throughout the off season um what it it, it seems to me like one of the best and just this was my first year doing uh, NFPC auctions as well. Um, and you touched on it with <clears throat> like the Abrams buy specifically, but, you know, also Marte Solaire. Um, like I, I got Yandy Diaz on my team for less than three bucks, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it does. It does seem like if you can just hit on three or four high impact position players for like a total of 10 to 12 auction dollars that that's kind of the key to the Mm -hmm. using your resources on pitching paying off yeah i I certainly think so and um you know when we kind of get into the uh free agent and manage in the end season management these are so different from the online championship but even in a 15 team pool there's a lot of guys that come in and um, provide a, provide a lot. So you can, you can kind of uh, depend on a stars and scrubs build in this format, I believe. Yeah. Let's talk about the in-season management. What, what went really well? <clears throat> Were there any specific pickups, whether it be even a, a cheaper guy, a really expensive guy, anything that, that you look back on as, as a big success or maybe just sort of, 
your week to week fab process was was what worked really well. Um, anything kind of stand out to you from an in season standpoint? Um, so yeah, as far as as far as in season, um, I actually had really bad luck with some of my hitting buys coming out of the auction. I mean, it was it was rough at times. I mean, I had guys like Austin Meadows, Jesse Winker, and Mitch Haniger. I mean, so they weren't all winners. So finding some of those pickups was huge. Um, so Jose Siri and Jaron Duran in April uh, to get those outfielders in a 15-team league was was big. Um, and then bringing on Jake Berger for the power was absolutely huge. Um, but honestly, funny enough, building on the pitching staff was the biggest key. Um, since I was able to land Bobby Miller, um, Tarek Skubal, and Cole Reagans. So nice. <laughs> without, without getting all those guys, there's no way that uh, – would have taken this thing down. So um, finding some, some decent bats in fab was big, but really just tacking on those pitchers to it, to a pretty good staff already was what pushed it over the top, I believe. Man, that's, that's really awesome work on the wire. Uh, you know, Scooble and Reagan's down the stretch, uh, you know, Miller was, was solid all season, but I mean, Scoobal and Reagans were basically pitching like SP ones over the final six weeks or so. Um, so just getting, getting those guys uh, off, off fab and pairing them with a Garrett Cole. Um, that's, that's really solid. Uh, do you have any thoughts on, on Scoobal or, or Reagans? Uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on Miller, but Scoobal, Scoobal and Reagans, I think are pretty interesting arms just kind of looking ahead to next year i don't know if you think it's uh it's a buy high time on those guys um trying to get a full season from them i don't know if you kind of are maybe going to be scared away by the the adp or the aab uh on those guys yeah um so with with bobby miller um kind of touching on him a little bit first i have four drafts pulled up for nfbc adp um, from kind of September 1st till now, and he's going right around pick 100. For me, I would be okay doing that um, just because I think he has all the ingredients to take a step forward uh, with a big-time fastball, uh, some really nice secondaries and great team context. I think Miller's going to kind of continue to move up the draft board as uh, more articles and kind of uh, content gets put out there. Scooble is kind of one where I don't know yet. His price is, has been a little bit high, and I think his durability issues uh, do give me some pause. Um, but obviously when he's rolling, he's awesome. So can't, can't argue too much against that. And with Reagan's um, I actually thought that he would go really, really high, but in some of the drafts um, he hasn't quite, you know, reached that level that I thought he would. He's going outside, almost outside of the top 125. And um, I know he, he definitely didn't necessarily have the hardest hitting schedule, but, um, just the sheer dominance he had. I mean, with an 80% zone contact rate, there's not many players that are able to do that. And it is a small sample, I know, but, uh, you know, would be probably the most willing to take a chance on Reagan's rather than Scooble and, and Bobby Miller's a guy I'm definitely very high on too. Nice. Um, <clears throat> okay. Is there anything, uh, anything we haven't touched on um, that you think, could maybe help people uh, who might be signing up for their first NFBC auction, uh, whether it be 
online or in person. I know, um, like I said, this was my first year doing the, the NFPC auction format. I thought it was great. Um, I'm excited to get more familiar with that, that room, uh, that software, this, this off season and, uh, might even do an in-person one in, in Vegas this spring. Um, but I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on auctions before we move on to these, uh, deep DC targets. Yeah. So, um, I actually did an article on kind of just auction primer, um, on my DC dynasty site. So that'd probably be the best way to kind of see any information on auctions. I tried to be a little bit broad. So if you're an experienced auction player, there might not be, you know, as many uh, nuggets in there compared to if you're getting started out, but hopefully there's some for a little bit for everyone. So that, that has all sorts of different concepts on auctions um, just because it is an undercovered area in all fantasy sports, certainly fantasy baseball too. And um, there's so many ways to attack it. I mean, if you had the same group of 15 guys and you did an auction, you know, in the off season and you did the same format, same league, you'd have a totally different auction, even a few days later. So just trying to kind of figure out those idiosyncrasies, I think is the best part of a uh, fantasy baseball, just doing the auctions. It's my favorite format. Nice. Was it, what, what's your experience with the, the doing the, the redraft auctions? Have you, was this not your first year? Had you had some experience doing the NFPC online? Um, prior to this year? Yeah, so I did an uh, online uh, auction last year, uh, 2022, and I came in fourth in my league. Um, but honestly, I screwed up the auction really badly. I had two $1 catchers, which was basically a disaster since I couldn't find anyone in uh, free agency and just didn't spend enough in pitching. And I think I had like three guys over 45 bucks. So it just kind of didn't turn out. But um, it was good to kind of... Uh, try to reel me back in and have a better focus for the next year. Very good. Well, you did, uh, you did have a better focus. You did, uh, whatever, whatever needed fixing, you fixed it. I guess you, you did mention you just did uh, the two $1 catchers. What was your approach to catcher in this, uh, overall winning team? So actually, uh, I don't, you know, I don't feel great about what Wilson Contreras gave me for 17 bucks, but, you know, I banked it quite a decent amount of stats. So even though I took a loss there, it, he was a placeholder that, that gave you, you know, okay stats. My second catcher was a disaster uh, for parts of the season. I had Grandal, uh, Yasmani Grandal for a little while. And then I kind of threw in different players, landed on Bo Naylor eventually and uh, streamed a few other guys. So that, that is definitely one position where if you're coming away with the, uh, two one dollar catchers it's it's been rough in years past i'm kind of uh rethinking the catcher pool with how deep it's gotten um since there's other guys that i think are yet to establish themselves that could have a nice year in 2024 but yeah yeah i mean i don't think it's it, it's uh i mean you meant you made this point with like nola but i I don't think it's the end of the world to spend at catcher like you did with Wilson Contreras and not get full, you know, profit mm-hmm. or breaking even. Um, I think really kind of the worst thing you can do is just not get much production at all for yeah. one of your catcher spots. I think, you know, taking a slight loss on a guy and I mean, Wil- Wilson Contreras, you know, he got six steals, 20 home runs, 
helped your batting average. Like that's mm-hmm. that's pretty solid from the catcher position, even if you didn't uh, break even on the buy. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of like we had talked about, you can you can find talent on the waivers uh, in these in these leagues with there being no injured reserve and with how much uh, young talents infiltrating the league. So if you if you spend you know twenty twenty two to maybe even twenty seven twenty eight bucks on your two catchers, you can not be perfectly efficient, but still find guys that are going to come up into the player pool. Okay. So as promised, uh, Lucas and I are, are going to give a few players each that we think are good values uh, who are currently going outside of the top 500 of NFBC ADP. So um, these are not going to be guys that uh, like I ranked on my super early top 300 a, a few weeks ago. Uh, these are going to be reserve players uh, in all likelihood on your, your NFBC rosters that uh, Lucas and I think, you know, there's, there's a case for, for taking them uh, in this range or maybe even a little bit higher. Um, Lucas, I, I turn it over to you. Uh, who's the first player you want to touch on that that you like who's going outside of the top 500 right now and and like you said we've got four drafts worth of uh, draft and hold data available right now we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Yeah, so my first guy um, is Colson Montgomery. Um, he is outside of the top 500 uh, for now, at least. And he had an injury-riddled season this year. Um, in fact, obviously, he's in the Arizona Fall League right now, and people probably thought he would have a better showing, but that's yet to come. Um, but in my opinion, he's just one of those guys who could be a top 10 prospect, Uh is going to be age appropriate to debut early next year, if not on the opening day roster. Um, and doesn't necessarily have that elite loud power or speed, but I just think he can contribute some in every aspect. And 
he's going to have opportunity in Chicago. So Colson Montgomery is a guy that uh, I'm going to want to load up some shares on for draft champions. <clears throat> yeah, they uh, got in 37 games at Double A this year. Uh, 12 games in the Arizona Fall League. Uh, you know he's got he's got three homers in 12 games. Uh, the K to walk isn't amazing, but um, I think I think with Montgomery, you know, you're that the shortstop job is his. Uh, it's just kind of a matter of when they uh, hand it over to him, and I think he's I think he brings a quite a bit of power uh, long term to the table. Just not not sure exactly what we'll see from him in 2024, but uh, he's a big kid. Um, big, big lefty hitting shortstop who probably isn't going to be the best defensively there long term. Might eventually have to move off, but um, yeah, definitely the shortstop of the future. And the future probably starts at some point uh, early in 2024. Um, do you, you know, with a player like this, are you sort of are you kind of okay with, you know, maybe I get three months, maybe I get four months. If you're taking him, you know, at ADP, are you hoping that maybe he, he has a big, big spring training and, and forces the issue a little sooner than that? That's a great question. Um, I would definitely love a, uh, you know, eruption type of year, but he, he could be one of those delayed call-ups uh, since he did miss miss uh, so much time. So if I can get a good, you know, three months out of him where he's playing, uh, that would be fine, certainly. But, uh, you know, any any sooner the better. Um, I'm trying to just take a look here and see when uh, – never mind. I was, I was thinking that Edward Julian got called up a little bit later on into the season because it kind of felt that way, but he was up in April. So mm-hmm. um, another kind of guy where – great real life bat and doesn't have that steals upside in fantasy. So people aren't going to be as, uh, you know, crazed about him, I guess. Yeah. That's a, that's a good, uh, Julian's a good comp for maybe type of player you might be getting. Although unlike Julian, I think Montgomery would play every day. Um, mm-hmm. might kind of, you know, something to watch, I guess, just how they approach, uh, free agency uh i think if they if they just clearly don't address shortstop in any sort of meaningful way then i think it is a probably pretty safe bet that they are planning to have him up uh at least by kind of the super two cutoff in in early june um but you never know what what the white Sox are going to do um okay so my first guy is going to be an infielder as well. Um, I'm going to go with Josh Rojas, uh, who is obviously, you know, the, the Mariners traded for him last year, um, was basically a completely different player uh, after that trade. And he was essentially the player, like I, I was not on Rojas at all uh, in drafts last year. Um, but I think, the player that people thought they were drafting when they were taking Rojas, he was basically that guy with Seattle. He was just terrible in 59 games with the Diamondbacks. And, um, you know, I, I think you kind of, you look at what, um, 
the way they used him, you know, he's not going to play against lefties. Uh, I do think it is a, a strict platoon with him, but he's eligible at second base. He's eligible at third base. So you get the, the corner middle eligibility there. Uh, he was worth a, over a win, uh, 1.2 Fangraphs wins above replacement in 46 games with the Mariners. Good defense. Um, so you're not, you know, power. I think you're kind of hoping for maybe eight to 10 homers from Rojas. Uh, you're, you're hoping for 15 to 20 steals. Um, again, he stole 12 bases last year while playing horribly for over half the season. So I think 15 to 20 steals is in play, even on the strong side of a platoon and just getting that positional eligibility flexibility in these DCs, I think is nice. Um, I think second base specifically kind of is a tough place to get depth at uh, later in, in drafts. So I like the fact that he helps you out with, with a second base eligible guy. Um, so, yeah, I just think a little too much, uh, overreaction to sort of how bad he was with the Diamondbacks and not enough credit given to the player he was after that trade. And I, I assume they wanted him for a reason. They, they probably unlocked something that he was doing uh, poorly, but uh, just like the price on Rojas, not, nothing sexy there. That's interesting because uh, I highly looked at him for uh, this exercise. So that's why I was smiling a lot when you uh, him. he, uh, <laughs> And again, this is such small sample, it's not stable or anything, but he did elevate his fly ball rate from 34% to 42% when he went over to Seattle and hit the ball a little bit harder. He doesn't hit the ball that hard, but like you said, he's a he's a glue guy, he's a depth guy, and he's going to be up all season with the big league team versus some of these prospects. It's a gamble. Okay, so uh, who's your, who's your second uh, deep sleeper <laughs> for people to look at? So another guy that's actually out of the Arizona Fall League, or he was, uh, Jackson Job, um, big-time pitching prospect for the Detroit Tigers. He um, he doesn't have that much workload under his belt, um, but when he was on the mound, I thought he was extremely dominant, and I just feel like these days we're seeing big league teams just ready to push guys up as soon as they show the characteristics and traits that they can help out a major league team. So maybe by the, you know, June, maybe July, if even possibly sooner, he could be uh, pitching for Detroit. And I just feel like his his strikeout stuff is going to be able to play, hopefully, um, while he's uh, in that Tiger uniform. Yeah, see, I I knew you had good taste, Lucas. So that's why I prepared uh, <laughs> five guys here instead of three. Um, Job was someone I was. Uh, considering mentioning, but I'm glad you did. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, I, I kind of like to kind of compare Job in my mind, at least to sort of, uh, Andrew Painter from a year ago. Um, obviously we really hope that Job doesn't need Tommy John surgery, uh, before opening or before pitching in the big leagues. Um, Definitely can't rule that out with a player like this who throws this hard and is this young. Mm-hmm. Um, but and and I do think uh, you know comparing him to Painter, I think Painter was he had a bit more in terms of on paper track record to show this guy is ready to get big league hitters out. Uh, mm-hmm. 
Job, like you said, I think the, the one start at double A, uh, pretty good in the, the AFL. But um, like, I do think Job, just given how dominant he was down the stretch, given how impressive he was in the AFL, I think you're you're right to bring him up in this range because, you know, really any pitching prospect of Job's caliber with any double A experience in 2022 who stayed healthy pitched in the big leagues this past year. Uh, that's just kind of the the trend with these guys. So it's, I think there's more of a risk that he gets injured before he gets to the big leagues than that. He just doesn't get to the big leagues um, in 2024. Um, and then uh, let's see, I'm, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Luis Matos of the Giants here um, for my second player. Um, you know, he, the one thing that surprised me uh, was just sort of how poorly he graded as a defender in his brief time in the big leagues. Uh, well, not not exceedingly brief. I mean, he was up long enough to, to lose his prospect eligibility, but, um, you know, he, he was always – kind of supposed to be a guy that would be, you know, maybe a plus defender in a corner and maybe average in center field. Uh, didn't, didn't grade out that well by advanced defensive metrics. So that that's honestly like my biggest concern with Matos, but um, you know, for a guy who he turns 22 in January. Um, so he was 21 all of last season, just dominates at double a, uh, more walks and strikeouts at double a nine steals in 31 games. Uh, just as many walks as strikeouts at triple a, uh, has nine homers and six steals in 32 games at triple a, uh, hitting above 300 at both those stops, uh, BABIP under 340 while hitting above 300 at both those stops. Um, so just love the fact that he's going to put the ball in play regularly, uh, even had a 13% strikeout rate in the 76 games in the big leagues. So he's going to make a lot of contact. Um, there's enough speed there, I think, for, for Matos to steal double-digit bases next year. And he hits righty, um, but they're not going to short-side platoon him. You know, he's one of their best young position players in the entire org. So, um you know, it's not a not a lock that he spends the whole season in the big leagues, not even a lock that he breaks camp in the big leagues next year. But I don't think he would be up specifically to be a short side platoon guy. I think if he's if he's in the big leagues, he's going to be playing, you know, 75 percent of the time, something like that. Um, you know, I usually don't like going after Giants position players just because the playing time is just so uh, iffy. Mm -hmm. But I think with Matos, um the playing time will be there and then it's just a, a matter of what production you're getting. And I, I was kind of comparing him to some older guys that were going in the same range that I like, uh, like Will Brennan with the guardians, mm -hmm. uh, Richie Palacios with the Cardinals. Um, but Matos actually has better just kind of, you know, he hits the ball harder than those guys. Um, he's a, a better athlete than those guys. And he's five years younger than those guys. So mm -hmm. I don't think he has quite uh, as high of a floor as maybe Will Brennan does. Um, but I like getting Matos as a, as a bench outfielder 
uh, with room. Like he's not going to be, you know, he's not going to have a CJ Abrams type of crazy breakout with the, the stolen bases. But I do think that's kind of an instructive example of just don't, don't weigh Matos' struggles in the big leagues last year as much as you would weigh those same struggles from a guy that's actually old enough to be expected to be in the big leagues. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to get him a lot of credit for making the big leagues at age 21 and getting a, a full half season. So yeah, he's, a, he's a guy that's, I, like you said, I think his playing time is going to be very secure in my opinion, at least. Um, so the floor could be within reason for just at bats and maybe a 270, 280 average. And, you know, there's a little bit, there's a bit more upside too. So, yeah. Okay. So uh, who's your, who's your last guy? Yeah. So I went, I went with uh, two big time prospects. So kind of have to put a little bit more of a boring guy in here, but uh, Dominic Canzone is actually my last guy. Nice. Um, just the nice barrel rate, 12% barrel rate. And the fact that uh, Jerry DePoto, like you said, with Josh Rojas, went out and sought him out. Um, so he has a little bit of power in his bat from the left side. So that's the type of player that the Mariners could use. Um, and strikeout rate, 18%. That's plenty good for a guy with some power. Um, and when he's facing two left-handed pitchers in a period, um, or even maybe one lefty, you, you can just pull him and it's no big deal. So, it's the perfect time to to take that power platoon guy who you can plug in for some home runs and some RBIs and um, yeah, interesting player at the price. Yeah, it's funny that we picked uh, the two guys, the <laughs> two big leaguers that Seattle got back from Arizona. Um, yeah, I mean, Canzone very very cheap uh, for a guy that like I I had him on my main event team at times last season just for those matchup situations like you mentioned um so just getting a potential and and with rojas like i didn't mention this but like you know it's kind of um with the with these dc players you almost want to look at it as like you know i know i'm going to be able to use this guy april through july um you know i'm I'm not positive rojas is going to be in his role you know, in August, September, maybe I'll need guys that I took who are going to open here in the minors or something to kind of help backfill in those months. But with like Rojas and Canzone, you know, these are guys that can help you, you know, get through like the first half of the season, uh, hopefully. And then maybe you, you have some guys that emerge and displace them. Um, did you, uh, okay. Yeah. So I thought, I thought outfield actually, um, before we get to my last guy, um, just from the, I've done three draft champions. I know you, you're, um, doing your, your basketball stuff. And, and so you'll be, you'll be getting into the flow of those, um, soon, but, uh, unlike last year, I actually thought outfield, like if you, if you like guys like Luis Matos, Dominic Canzone as, as bench outfielders, I thought there's just a, a decent amount of those guys, um, going pretty late. So. Uh, I like having a couple really good outfielders that I know I can I can bank on. But um, the you know when I did my second DC and when I did my third DC, I found myself waiting a little bit longer to kind mm-hmm. of address like OF four and OF five 
um, than I had in the first one, just because there were so many of these guys. Sure, they're going to come with, yeah, he's only going to play against righties or he's not going to steal any bases. Um, so these aren't perfect options, but I think if you end up with five to seven outfielders um, on your bench and they all have just ways that they can be used throughout the season, I think you can be fine. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's a lot to be said about um, willing to do the matchup homework on a, on a Mark Canha who was on a heater towards the end of the year and, or, or maybe throw in a Jason Hayward if you scooped yeah. him up in the last few rounds. So if you're willing to do the homework, I think there's uh, all, some outfielders that are usable. I'm not going to say they're going to, you know, win you the league or anything, but there's there's a lot of usable guys if you're doing the homework. Yeah, I mean Jason Hayward, another guy. Like I was, I was legitimately using Jason Hayward <laughs> in my lineup down the stretch in the main event, um, and you can get him in like the one of the last rounds because nobody knows if he's going to play or who he's going to play with, but. Um, yeah, uh, outfield to me, not quite as shallow as it was just in my, from my perspective um, last year. Uh, okay, so my last guy, um, I had two guys saved. Uh, not going to mention much about Will Warren with the Yankees. I touched on him in the last uh, mailbag episode, but I do like Will Warren a lot. Uh, but I'm going to mention Kyle Hurt of the Dodgers. Uh <laughs> You know, he he made his big league debut um, only through the fastball and the changeup in his big league debut. Um, but when he was at AAA, he threw his cutter over 10% of the time, uh, threw his curveball almost 10% of the time, um, decent swing strike rate on those two pitches. Cutter's a little bit better. Uh, obviously, the, the changeup's a, a money pitch, mid-90s fastball, touches 97-98. And, you know, he turns 26 in May, already made his big league debut. I just think there's a lot of outs. There's a lot of outs for that pick to pay off. Like it's, I'd love it if Kyle Hurt starts 20 games for the Dodgers next year, but you don't need him to even start one game for the Dodgers for this pick to be useful in a DC. He's got big time stuff. Um, You know, he's going to be more, I think, than just a one inning guy if he is used as a reliever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I would still expect him to be used as kind of a swing man or, you know, spot starts here and there, even if he's not just a steady member of the rotation. And, you know, I was debating mentioning, you know, Kyle Hurt or Will Warren with like a guy like Luis Medina of the A's. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you probably have a better chance of getting wins with Kyle Hurt pitching in relief for the Dodgers than you do Medina being in the A's rotation. So um, I, I just think it's a, it's kind of a weird sort of high floor play for a pitching prospect. Um, Obviously injuries aside there, but like, I just think he's going to be a guy you can use and there's a chance, you know, there's a maybe a greater than 10% chance that he's, a really solid starting pitcher for them at times next year. So uh, I like the the price on Hurt right now. Yeah, I like how you laid that out there. And um, interesting pitching prospect. And kind of like you were alluding to, it's he can have a variety of different roles and, and still pay off. Uh, one thing that I've heard for years is people saying to draft your innings at the end, you know, your Jordan Lyles or, you know, your Patrick Corbins. And, you know, maybe I guess that can work for some if you hit the right guy. But I feel like throwing in those middle relievers or, or a guy that's going to pitch, you know, 
twice in a week for for two innings each time i think that sometimes just mitigating the damage is, is worth a lot when you're in these uh deep leagues with injuries hitting various rosters yeah and and for just dc strategy i think it's just going to be really uh interesting um throughout the rest of the winter because uh, we just saw so many pitching prospects debut last year and be usable um you know there were plenty of guys that just didn't have much success or you know got injured or whatever but um i think it's just the game just keeps getting younger and younger and um you know five years ago it was uh i, I would just say this I, I think you want to leave a dc with more prospects on kind of an optimal build than you would have wanted to five years ago just based on the way we've seen teams use these guys yeah, I, I completely agree with that, and I'm just curious to see where that balance kind of settles in. Since um, you know you don't want to overdo it, but at the same time, like you said, it's it's not uh, it's not like how it used to be. You know, three, four, five, six years ago, where you would go for more of the Adam Frazier's towards the end of the draft. You now you're looking more at the prospect side. Lucas, this was great. Um, why don't you let people know where they can uh, follow your work and support your work? Uh, before I let you go. Absolutely. I had a great time. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Um, You can find all my work uh, on Twitter at LucasBerry33. I run the uh, DC Dynasty website. It's focused on draft champions and dynasty leagues. Um, I did fab articles throughout the year this year, and that was good. Um, But I think I'm actually going to focus more on the uh, draft and holds and dynasties, kind of do a DC and a dynasty diary from time to time where I kind of just lay out some thoughts, even in season. Um, Since it seems like the perception of a draft champions is, you know, you draft the team and then you're, you're good to go. There's a lot of uh, dynamics and evolving things throughout the year. So I'm curious to kind of cover that a little bit, but uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. Awesome, man. Uh, How are you, how are you feeling about the Pacers this year? Um, You know, I know there's a lot of people that are high on them. Um, and I think they're going to be a lot of fun to watch. They're going to score a lot of points, but I'm a little dubious as far as if they're going to be a actually good team and, you know, have a chance to make any noise. Uh, certainly they'll be fun and I love the direction, but uh, defensively I'm, I'm pretty worried about that, but yeah, they'll certainly be fun. Yeah. It's gotta be cool to have a guy like Halliburton to build around. Um, yeah. I, I like, uh, I've got Nemhard in a, in a keeper league. Um, and I love I love the fit of Obi and Turner. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, who knows? Like like you said, wins and losses, TBD. But uh, that'll be. I mean, to me, they're like a top top five or six league pass team this year. So that's that's fun. Yeah, absolutely. They'll be a they'll be a high league pass team for sure. And uh, if they're anything more, that'll be bonus. But at worst, they'll be very watchable. All right. Good stuff, Lucas. I really appreciate you taking the time, man, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you for having me.